0: Good morning. Well, it is a beautiful day. My family has big plans for after church that involve a long drive to places with absolutely zero internet and packing lots of our own food for a week. But first, we get to talk about leadership. I'm excited about this short four-week series. Um, What is leadership? Simply defined, leadership is having influence. The best way to tell if you are a leader is to just... Look behind you. If anyone is following you in some way, you're a leader. If not, you're just a guy out for a stroll. Enjoy your walk. Um, I want us to think quickly about where we have leadership. And if you look in your bulletin, there's a little line to take some notes on that if you want to jot down some stuff. With whom do you have influence? Where would things change if you were like removed from the equation? All of us will have leadership in our homes. We make a difference there. Uh, We influence what happens there. People are affected by us in our homes. Some of us have huge leadership in our extended families, in our larger families. Some of us, not so much. But think about who you affect. Who are you in relationship with? Where do you have influence? Who asks your opinions? Where do you get to make decisions? And just if you want to go ahead and and jot this down, I think it's important for us sometimes to kind of take stock of our lives and where we have meaningful relationships. For some of us, we may have social circles that are informal, but in which we really do have influence, neighborhood, um, restaurant or cafe that we frequent, yoga class, et cetera, et cetera. Work is obviously a big one. We may be influencing the organization itself, culture, uh, our co-workers, um, students, if you are a teacher in any sort of a class that's a big one, this church may be an area of influence for actually a number of you here. Um, I want us to think about like the who that's involved in that. Think about the people in those places where you influence, think about their faces, personalities, their souls, who it is you influence at home or at work. So as, the, as we think through this, who estimates um, that you, you influence about five people or more? Show of hands. Okay. Who estimates, you know, that between coworkers, and this is broadly defined, right? It's not like you make all the decisions in their life, right? But you have some, you, they talk to you, ask your opinion about this, you have some level of influence on maybe like ten or more people. Show of hands. Mm-hmm. I think probably most of us are influencing many people, really. And the thing is, like, this is a big deal. Whether we're influencing two or 100 students or, or five people at our work or neighborhood, like, this is a big deal. Influencing other human beings is not to be taken lightly. And here's the reality. Your healthy leadership is necessary for the systems you are a part of, whether that's work or home or neighborhood, whatever system you are a part of, to run smoothly. You must contribute. You must influence. You must lead in some way, shape, or form. It's a fundamental truth. If you are not leading appropriately, your ship will be unbalanced. You cannot abdicate all influence, all contribution, and have the things that you are part of still be running smoothly. There will be at least one place in your life where you have to step up and lead in some capacity. And even where you don't need to like lead, lead, like be the big boss or, or call all the shots, you still have to contribute. I worked at Starbucks for, uh, for a while, and you might think that that's an a role in which you don't have to lead. It's a well-oiled machine as a new barista. You do not come up with new recipes. You do not organize workflow. It's a very defined role. But you still have to communicate clearly. You still have to take initiative. If you show up to what is really a very set role and task and just passively go with the flow and don't take much initiative, you're not going to last for very long there. Your voice, your influence, your contribution is needed for your corner of the world, whatever your corner of the world is, to run smoothly. So we all need to lead sometime and somewhere, and we want to work on our leadership over the course of these uh, four weeks. There's a lot of leadership advice out there. Uh, the baseball manager Casey Stengel said, the key to being a good manager is keeping the people who hate me away from those who are still making up their minds. <laughs> uh, the, the fearless leader on the TV sitcom The Office said, as a leader, do I want to be feared or loved? Both. I want people to fear how much they love me. Someone defined leadership as the ability to hide your panic from others. And Ronald Reagan said something I actually do really like. The greatest leader is not necessarily the one who does the greatest things. He is the one who gets people to do the greatest things. Leadership isn't about you being amazing or powerful. It's about you helping your communities your neighborhoods to be their best. And for that, your voice, your contribution is necessary. Today, we're gonna look at a couple of leaders who had some influence and some leadership in the early community of Jesus. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were brothers and sisters. And we know little about their background. They may have been well-to-do orphans. Martha was the one who was kind of calling the shots, organizing things. There's no mention of their parents. They seemed to be affluent. They had a large house, were capable of throwing large gatherings. Um, none of them seemed to be married. There's no mention of um, spouses for them, and they did an awful lot with their siblings. So they may have been quite young for them to s- all three of them to still be unmarried, or they may have been kind of at the edges of uh, Jewish society in some way for them to, to not be married, all three of them. In the Bible when it tells us about the life of Jesus, there are three stories with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. The first one we're going to be looking at today. It's a dinner party that started it all where Mary um, behaved in some interesting ways. And after this dinner party, Jesus, we're going to see him continuing on his way. He goes, he, he travels around, um, and he gets a call from Martha and Mary that their brother um, is very, very ill, and he takes this time. He doesn't actually return to his friends. And Lazarus dies, and Jesus shows up four days after the funeral. And when he shows up, he doesn't just mourn with Martha and Mary. He goes to the grave, and he tells Lazarus to come out of the grave. And Lazarus rises up after four days. He's resurrected, a sign of what will happen also to Jesus. Um, he reverses their tragedy We see again, a couple of years later, when the the tension, the political climate is uh, incredibly tense, um, incredibly tense. And um, Martha and Mary again have Jesus over to their house and Mary, sensing the trouble that Jesus is in and just loving him for all that he's done for them over the years, takes this costly perfume and it just pours it over Jesus' feet and cries over him and takes her hair and wipes his, his feet with her hair. It's a very um, intimate, almost erotic moment with them. But Martha and Mary followed Jesus and became leaders in the early community of jesus they saw jesus do amazing surprising things because mary and martha stepped up to follow him and i believe that that's the deep desire in many of our hearts this morning is to follow jesus to be with jesus and to then help leading those around us those in our community to see jesus do amazing things so let's pray together this morning and then we're gonna jump into our passage and Jesus this morning, we give you uh, our hearts, our minds, our attention this morning. We just turn our focus to you, Jesus. We want to learn from you. We want to learn more about who we are. We want to learn at like a deep heart level who you are, Jesus. We want to see you this morning. Would you touch and change our hearts this morning, um, and as we talk about leadership this morning um, where there's fears, where there's hesitancy, where we think, oh, I just can't, would you really replace your truth? Would you speak the reality about who we are, what we are capable of in you, Jesus? And it's not a burden. It's not something we have to perform at, Jesus. It's just you calling us in to following you and seeing you do great things. So yeah, we give you our attention, Jesus. Would we we be able to act on this word? Would we be able to follow what you call us to? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Uh, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worthy being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha decided to invite Jesus, this radical new rabbi, over to the house for dinner. Mary, of course, did what, you know, all the women would have been doing. She was helping in the kitchen. And then all of a sudden Mary realizes that the Messiah, the son of God, is sitting in the living room and here she is in the kitchen peeling potatoes. So she puts down the potato peeler, goes into the living room, joins the men joins the circle and sits down at Jesus' feet, taking her place, learning from the rabbi. So what does this all mean for us? What did it mean for Mary back then? The phrase to sit at the feet of a rabbi means to become a disciple of that rabbi. The same writer who wrote this story, he talks about Paul, talks about Paul being a disciple of Gamaliel. He writes that Paul sat at Gamaliel's feet. We see it plenty of times. In literature during this time period, the disciples sit at their master's feet, learning from their masters, doing life for their masters, becoming like their masters. So Mary has quietly and intentionally taken the position and posture of a disciple of Jesus. And this was shocking because she had crossed a very clear social boundary to do this. In first century Jewish society, men and women did not mix. I'm really sorry for, you know, how I've said hello to the men today and, you know, shook their hands. That would be highly inappropriate 2,000 years ago. In the houses in which Martha and Mary would have lived at the time, they were organized into either male or female spaces. You had the, the male public rooms where men would gather and talk, and you had the household spaces Um, where women and children would be. The uh, biblical scholar N.T. Wright says, for a woman to settle down comfortably among the men was bordering on scandalous. She should have gone back to the household rooms where she belonged, who she was sitting with, and where she was sitting was socially unacceptable. She had crossed a traditional household boundary. She had also crossed a significant religious boundary because disciples were apprentice rabbis. They were apprentice rabbis. You followed a, a disciple to, or a, a rabbi to become one one day, and that was most definitely a male role. Martha sees all of this, and she's like, what is going on? I was trying to be a good Jewish girl, having the rabbi come, and now Mary is, is wrecking this. all. What, what is happening? Not only does she have a VIP guest, but she looks around and she sees that her catering staff has been cut by 50%. And as scandalous as this is, the, the rabbi isn't even doing anything about it. So what's she going to do? She tries to put an end to it and says, don't, don't you care that my sister isn't helping me and, and I'm doing all the work? Tell her to, tell her to just c- come and help me. Those of us who have been around the church for a while have, have heard and, and there's this is, there's some truth to this, that Martha was the active, worker, busy, busy person, and Mary was the quiet, contemplative, prayerful person, and that this story shows us that Jesus affirms both, and that's true, but for the people who, who had this story happen, who saw it happen, who remembered it, who, who wrote it down, the meaning for them was obvious. And the meaning is is still obvious today for people living in the Middle East, living in houses that are divided into male and female quarters. It was obvious that Mary had inserted herself where she did not belong because she just couldn't stay away from Jesus. Mary risked a lot. She she threw down her apron. She said, no, no. I'm going to do what I shouldn't do. If Jesus is talking about something, I want to hear. If Jesus is there, I want to be there with Jesus. Martha, older, wiser Martha, did not think that Jesus would go along with this, but Jesus only said, Mary chose the main course. You're working on the sides. Mary chose the main course. I appreciate the dinner, but the dinner will be consumed. All that will be left is some chicken bones. What Mary has chosen, her place is my follower will belong will remain, she belongs here, you belong here too, if you choose. You know, a lot of things would have seemed to disqualify Mary from following Jesus like this, becoming a supporter and, and friend of his, her age, her gender, her marital status, she had to press through it took courage the seat at the table did not have a name card for her no one gave her a microphone no one asked her to do this she was not recruited i doubt the other followers of jesus made room for her in the circle she had to choose this for herself and jesus smiled at her and affirmed her being there none of what would have happened afterwards would have happened if mary hadn't taken this bold step Would Jesus have visited their house again? Would he have made the long journey back to Bethany after Lazarus died? Would they have had the faith to call him when Lazarus became so sick? Mary chose the costly, awkward, socially embarrassing step of following Jesus. And it was so worth it for her and her family In doing so, she became a leader in the early community of Jesus. Jesus affirmed her calling. He affirmed her choice to choose discipleship. It started with her choice. I think this is our first leadership lesson that we see from Mary is that it starts with our choice. When we choose to follow Jesus, he sees us, he smiles at us, and he takes us up on it most of us want to choose someone else most of us want someone else to choose a spiritual leadership for us we want someone else to say oh you should totally do this you'd be so good at it you know we want someone to say mary you don't belong in the kitchen anymore get on out there you belong out there but that ain't gonna happen you will not be noticed recruited or promoted to real spiritual leadership You have to choose to sit at Jesus' feet. You have to throw down the apron for yourself. No one else is going to choose following Jesus for you. Now, I think we can always, you know, step out and ask, explore. If you're wondering what your spiritual gifts are, we have a whole class, what your spiritual gifts are. Um, If you're wondering if you're called to leadership, talk to somebody about that. Uh, Talk about that. But It will be your choice. Mary stepped out. She chose Jesus, and Jesus affirmed that, not other people. We too are affirmed. Jesus always affirms us when we choose following him and choose leading for him. What things this morning do we think disqualify us? What do we think disqualifies us? Do we feel like we fit in with the other disciples? Do you feel like we belong in the circle? What objections do you face? What objections will you face as you kind of step up in spiritual leadership? The worst objections from Mary were not from the other men she had to squeeze in with, they were from Martha, and they were true objections. Martha did have more work to do because Mary had just dropped the work on her and left her by herself in the kitchen. That was true, that was real. Her worst objections came from her sister, her best friend, her family. What are the issues you'll have with, with stepping out to follow Jesus in the fullness of what he's calling you to? So it was Mary's choice. She did it. She did it in her own way, not imitating the other disciples, not emulating Peter or John. Mary's whole story is being just who she is. Later after her brother dies, she and Jesus comes back, she just runs up to Jesus and she like yells that she's like, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died and, and she takes that perfume and just kind of impulsively breaks it over Jesus' feet and then she whips out her hair and she's just young and impulsive in herself and with her hair everywhere so so very female. She was not your typical disciple. I think real leadership comes out of a place of really knowing who we are, what we are gifted with, who we are, what our voice is. You will never be able to contribute what God intends you to contribute unless you are who God created you to be. This has been like the whole of my leadership journey story. I remember um, towards the end of seminary, I was uh, interning with a church. I was probably 28 or 29 and I was doing a couple of different things for for them and um, I got the opportunity to preach once or twice and the supervising pastor says, okay, you know, how how about for preaching? What things do you need to work on for preaching? I said, oh, that's easy. I know what my biggest problem is with preaching. I smile too much. It's a big problem. I just, I get up there I start talking about Jesus and I start smiling and it's just, it's awful. It's the worst. I feel like, you know, a little girl and, you know, when's the last time you watched T.D. Jakes or somebody, and he was just smiling up there. And um, the supervising pastor's like, this is not a big problem, right? Like, so you smile, like, that's great. Be who you are. And it's taken me a long time to believe that who I am, my past, my background, my experiences, some of them are very unique. I've had a weird life in some ways. Um. And that this is really, truly helpful that who God created me to be, my voice, my unique self, is really where my source of strength, um, my authentic voice for leadership will come. It seems easier to imitate other people than to be who I am, but I will never be comfortable as a leader or effective as a leader if I try to copy other people. The key to leadership is finding your authentic voice, too many people in too many areas are square pegs trying to fit in to round holes. What makes you different? What's your story? Lean into it. It's good. It's not something to be glossed over. Lean into who you are and what your authentic voice is. There's only one you. Your family and friends need your voice, your perspective, your contribution. And then when we look at how Mary led, leadership is a whole life event. Leadership has developed over years. It includes all of our life. Lazarus's sickness and death were just as much a part of Martha and Mary's leadership as anything else. Throwing a dinner party was what started it all. There are not parts of our life that just like don't relate, things that have to sit on a side shelf, The Lord will work through a sickness, helping aging parents. We think, oh, I just got to you know, help people do this and then I'll get back to the full task. But this is part of the full task. The annoying house project, moving houses, um, fitness, exercise, uh, the entertainment we consume will either move us forward or will hold us back. There's no such thing as part of our lives that don't relate, that don't impact our leadership. I think of... um, the founder of Starbucks, um, Howard Schultz, when he was young, quite, quite young, 9 or 10, his father got, got very ill, and, um, or maybe he had a workplace incident, and he, he couldn't work for a while. His mother was pregnant, um, and his family fell into to great poverty because his, his father had this one workplace incident. And um, as a young boy, he saw this, and he saw the impact on his father of not having meaningful work That could provide for his family in the midst of hardship so when he started a coffee company in seattle he was determined not because it was his business principles or a new angle he was working or some philosophy but because of his life experience as a young boy he was determined that starbucks would be the kind of company that could provide benefits it's been one of their keys to success they're a leader in um you know, giving health care to part-time employees. But it wasn't a side thing that he just had to get over. Something that happened to him as a 9- or 10-year-old boy it became part of who he is as the CEO of one of the largest companies in the world. So spiritual leadership has no side events. It involves all of our life, and it involves all the people around us same as there are no wasted distractions in our life, they are no peripheral people. The interaction with the cashier, how you talk to the parents, the way you listen to your spouse or or don't listen to your spouse, it's all significant. Martha was just as much a part of Mary's spiritual leadership as Mary was to Martha. They did this together. They could not have done it apart. In leadership, we let other people shape and form us. We work off of their strengths, not being bothered by their weaknesses. And then really the heart of it all that Mary shows us, why she was a leader, why she's significant, she shows us the heart of Christian leadership is claiming the Jesus moments, is being where Jesus is, is claiming those Jesus moments and setting up camp with Jesus. That's what I want for myself, and that's what I want for us, to see where Jesus is and say, there, there, I'm staying there. This is where I'm going. You know, we all have those moments in our life. You know, when our kid gives us a random hug out of the blue, when our friend says, "Uh, it's been a tough week to stop, to claim the moment, to pray for those people. Life is filled with God moments. We just need to see them to claim them, to set up camp there. We don't have to be better people or better Christians for this. We just have to claim the God moment that's given to us. Gerald Mays says that spiritual leadership springs forth in grace. It is not a burden or a task, but it springs forth in grace from our desire for God's presence. Mary's leadership, why she is important is because she wanted Jesus's presence and she ran after jesus it does not take effort but courage it does not take striving but showing up it doesn't need athletics but attentiveness to just see jesus to claim jesus to run after him if our eyes are opened to the flood of grace in our lives we will see jesus we will be able to respond to jesus all around us we want to see those moments and claim them we don't create them but we can claim them. Mary chose loving Jesus rather than just working for him. Someone once said that there are two types of people in the kingdom of God. They are lovers and they are workers. There are people who just love Jesus and there are people who want to be busy for Jesus. And lovers will always accomplish more for the kingdom of God than workers will. It's all about whose feet you sit at. It's all about where you choose to position yourselves. We are Jesus people. We are a Jesus movement. If this is not about Jesus, we can just take it and, and, and throw, throw it away. It is about who we follow, and we follow Jesus. When we follow the leader, we follow the best friend of our souls, Jesus is God with us. He is God on our side. He is God with me, with you. He has entered the muck and the mire of of earth in the storms of life. He is not a spectator. He is a participant. He has entered into life with us. And by his death on the cross, he has taken on the forces of evil and injustice and oppression, and he has defeated them by rising again. In Jesus, we have victory. We have victory over the things in and of ourselves that hold us back. We have victory over the injustices and the oppression of life. In Jesus, we follow a leader who will lead us beyond what we could hope or imagine. We don't follow a leader who who has some financial plan or who has some this plan or that plan. We follow a leader who has a life plan for us that leads into eternity. Jesus knows everything about us and loves us totally and completely. As we wrap up this morning, he is a good leader to follow. He is a good leader to sit at his feet and where it requires courage to to put down the comfortable restrictions of our life, to to leave the kitchen, to to claim the God moments. I think when we listen to the longings of of our soul, when we listen to the longings of our soul, we are told that at Jesus' feet, there there is glory, there is hope, there is resurrection coming, there is friendship with the Lord, there is worship and intimacy with the god of the universe it's worth it it's worth the objections of friends and families it's worth the stares. it's worth it for when jesus says you belong here you belong here and this morning we can claim that god moment that when we come to jesus's feet that he tells us that we belong here with him following him leading for him at his feet. Let's stand together. Worship team, if you want to come on back up. Jesus said that Mary chose the better part, the better part that would not be taken away from her. We live in a busy, complicated, fast-paced world, and so much of our time is spent on things that will eventually fade or fail, But Jesus calls us to the better part that will not be taken away from us. This morning we want to choose that. We're going to choose it in worship. Um, The place of worship in Mary's life can't be overstated. It's what she became famous for. It's how she thanked the Lord for what he had done for her. Worship gave her the power and the closeness with Jesus to follow him through it all, we get the opportunity to worship together this morning. As we, as we start, as we enter into the place of worship, I just invite you to kind of picture yourself at Jesus' feet. Just invite you to hear Jesus' words spoken to you, that you belong here, to choose the better part that will not be taken away. Jesus, we remember everything that you have done for us. Just think of one thing that the Lord has done for you this morning. Maybe in you personally, maybe for um, someone who's important in your life. Thank you for what you have done for us, Jesus. And this morning, we claim the God moment. Right here in Hopkinton at 1030 in the morning, we claim the God moment. We want to be close to you. We want to run to your feet, to stay at your feet. We choose you, Jesus. Amen.